I'm going to start off by asking, what are some of the things that you're afraid of? Does anyone want to shout out an answer to that? Something you're afraid of. What? Spiders, really? Dude. So this week, behind my piano, scurried a fierce spider. Like, seriously. I got the vacuum cleaner and sucked it up. I was terrified, though. Not terrified, but alarmed. Spiders, what else are you afraid of? Shh, really? It's nice that they have that early warning detection system. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sharks, anything else? Yes. Earthquakes. Yeah, those are, the, and, and they seem a little bit more real after you hear them in the news, right? Yeah, you're like, yeah, I guess one of those is going to happen at some time. There's earthquakes in this, in Orange County? Someone should tell me that before we moved here. Anything else fear, fear-inducing to you? We're a pretty brave group. Okay. Uh, so what do you do most of the time when you suddenly come upon something that you're afraid of? Like if you are, you know, vacuuming and all of a sudden find a spider. What is your initial reaction? Grab magazine. See, mine is to run in the opposite way. <laughs> First, I jump back. Then I get something to, to, to kill it. But if you're swimming and uh, you see a shark, uh, I think probably most of you would go in the opposite way. Most things you fear, you run from. Now, some of you might just like, you know, and roller coasters really are kind of a, a unique thing. They are fear-inducing, but you run to them, or at least stand in line for them. But often, the things that make us afraid are the things that we run from. It leads to some problems, though, when it talks about fearing God. Are we supposed to be running from God? Many kinds of things that we're afraid of, our initial interaction is to get away. But obviously, with God, uh, we do not want to be getting away from him. What are some of the challenges to you when you think about fearing God? What are some of the challenges for you when you think about fearing God? And we're going to see scripture is full of talking about fearing him. So it just challenges it as you process that idea. Yeah, James. Well, and, and, and that's definitely one of the challenges with fearing God, right? Is that we, have, we know God's grace in Jesus Christ. We love the gospel. We've been brought near to God. So that's one of the challenges when all of a sudden we're talking about fear and we see like these pictures in a Hebrews of like, wow, that's horrifying. And it seems incompatible, right? And in general, love seems incompatible with fear, and so I think that, that that's one of the challenges we face when we think about fearing God, particularly after being saved, we understand him as Father, we know his grace, we know his goodness. 
our, 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 we have this. You, yeah, and, and like our uh, uh, beginning of uh, Philippians 2.1, we looked at. The, 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 uh, uh, the, and I can't remember. Oh, wow, you guys are going to be along for a ride today. I've got my ESV Bible here. Sorry. Unless the other half of you are okay with that. But, uh, uh, but, but Philippians 2, 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, those are not fear-inducing words, right? When we come up with affection and sympathy, that doesn't strike fear into our hearts. And yet, as we're going to see, that Scripture talks a ton about fearing God. Now, there's a very interesting verse here, and the first point in your outlines, let's see if I'm going to push the little on button. Okay, so we're going to talk first about the problem of fearing God. And the problem of fearing God, just the difficulty of, uh, of fearing God, it, it brings us to problems. There's a really interesting verse in Isaiah 11, verses 2 through 3. And this is a prophecy uh, of, uh, of the coming Messiah. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his ears hear. So that's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It's such an interesting phrase. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. And so I do think that that's some of the problem we have when we talk about fearing God, is how can we delight in fearing God? How can we be like Jesus who delighted in the fear of the Lord? So I titled this miniseries here, The Grace of Fearing God, because these terms kind of appear to be incompatible. Fear seems to have nothing to do with grace. When we fear someone, it's because they misuse their power or we're afraid that they're going to misuse their power. Or maybe if we feel guilty, we fear authority is going to be used against us. When we see a suspenseful movie, we never imagine that the the focus of that fear is going to be gracious. But God is both gracious and fearful. God is both gracious and fearful. But even more than God just being gracious and fearful, I really want us to start seeing that fearing God is an essential work of God's grace in your life. Fearing God is an essential work of God's grace in your life. That your sanctification requires you to grow in fearing him. And if you're going to grow in grace and the knowledge of him, you will fear him more. But that fear, and this is the good news, is not to be dreaded. Look what Proverbs 14, 27 says. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a fountain of life. And we're going to see more blessings of fearing God in, 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 in just a moment. If you want to read more about fearing God, and, and, and we'll, we'll come back to this topic again in, in a couple of weeks. So, so next week is time of prayer, uh, and, and we'll be joining together to pray during the second hour. Uh, but if you want to, 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 read, to read more about this topic, there's a great book called the, called the Treatise on the Fear of God by John Bunyan, which is a great read, and also The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. So let's kind of go ahead first and, and, and or second. We talked about the problem of fearing God, that it seems incompatible with love, incompatible with the gospel. Isn't the whole point of the gospel to stop us fearing God, to stop us being afraid of judgment? 
but we're going to see that there's lots of blessings of fearing God. So that's a question we can ask. Is fear in general, let's just abstract it a little bit, is fear bad? Is fear bad? No. Uh-uh. Why is fear not bad, Will? Yeah. Right, yeah. So fear keeps us safe, right? So that, that's a very obvious blessing that comes along with fear. Well, and, and really, we're going to see in, in a lot of these verses that there is a fear of God that keeps us safe because of how we respond to God. But we're going to also see that there's, that, that there's lots of blessings here. Now, I put the, the references uh, uh, on your notes, but there's more there than I'm going to, to, to a read. So I always have more, and then I try to, 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 to whittle those down. So I'm just going to read some of those. And I'm going to go, go through these quickly, because I think as I'll go through them, you'll start seeing, this is a blessing I need in my life. If I'm not fearing God, I'm going to want to fear God because of these blessings. So in Deuteronomy 6.24, it says, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, and for our survival as it is to, as it is today. So that God commanded Israel in, under the old covenant to fear him for their good and for their survival. That them as a people would enjoy blessings if they feared God. Psalm 31 verse 19. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. What does God have for those who fear him? Goodness stored up, right? Isn't that a sweet phrase? God has goodness stored up for those who fear him. Now, I do love seeing, and, and, and in verses in the Psalms, uh, uh, often the Psalm explains itself that the, that the second uh, half of the verse of the Psalm can help us understand the first half of the verse. And I just wanted to bring this to your attention here. Now we'll talk about it more later. That those who fear you is paralleled with those who take refuge in you. So just start thinking about that now. Those who fear God are those who take refuge in God. They're the same kind of person. Here's another verse, Psalm 34, 9 through 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. That the Lord knows the needs of those who fear him. He knows what's best for them. Those who fear him are those, it describes as also as those who, who seek the Lord. Many of you love Psalm, Psalm 103. As you read through the psalm, there's three verses that talk about fearing God. These are, these are beautiful verses. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his covenant love towards those who fear him. Do you want God's love to be directed towards you? You're going to be one of those who fear him. It is God's response to those who fear him. Psalm 103, verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Who does God have compassion on? Those who fear him. Psalm 103, verse 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. God's love is, his loving kindness, his steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. I'm going to go, go over just a couple more here because I want these blessings to be motivating to you to say, this is something that I want to cultivate in my life. I need this fear. Look how good it is. 
So Psalm 145 verse 19. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Again, I love that parallel here. So you can see how the first part of the verse is explained and added upon, shown a different angle by in the second half of the verse. Those who fear him are also described as those who do what in the second half of the verse? Cry to him, right? Those who fear God are those who cry out to God. And those who cry out to God are those who fear God. And, and, and this is going to be really important to us in a little bit to understanding what it means to fear God. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. Now, you might be sitting there and say, I've got a lot of unmet desires right now. Do I not fear God? Of course, we understand that a real fear of God is going to be submitting to him as God. And it's going to be taking from him the good gifts that he gives in his perfect timing. He also transforms our desires as we fear him. Psalm 147, verses 10 through 11 has another blessing. It's talking about God. God does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. These things aren't impressive to him. He doesn't say, wow, you're so strong. Look at you. I'm going to use you. The Lord favors, gives grace to those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. Again, there's that sweet parallel between these two phrases. Those who fear him are paralleled with those who wait on his loving kindness. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Where does wisdom and knowledge begin with? Fearing the Lord. If you think you're wise, then you're someone who fears the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, you're not someone who's wise. So these are some of the blessings of fearing God. We're going to look at number three, the command to fear God. Now, it's probably implied here with all these blessings, right? Uh, this is probably something we should do because these blessings sound really good. I want God's steadfast love. I want him to store up goodness towards me. I want, his, uh, I, I want my desires, his God-given good desires to be met. This sounds awesome. Uh, it's not just awesome. It's not just an option. It, it is a command as well. Do you ever command anyone? Have you ever commanded someone to be fearful? Have you ever commanded someone to be fearful? Moms, I sure hope so. Dads, I hope so. Can anyone think of, some, of an example of when you kind of command someone to be fearful? Yes. Right, yes, yes. So telling your children not to touch the stove. Do you want them to have, have a good, healthy fear of the stove? Yes. How about cars that drive up with bags of candy out the windows? Right? Do you want your kids to be fearful of those kinds of people? Yes, right? Stranger danger. Run in the opposite way. Right? So now, do we just want them to be sitting in their, in their bed at night, afraid that someone might offer them candy? No, that'd be too far, right? Too far. But there is a good, healthy fear. So we do command people to be fearful for their good. God does that for our good as well. In Deuteronomy 5.29, now, some of you might be thinking, hey, these are all Old Testament verses. Is this a New Testament concept? Yes, it is. We'll get there in a minute. And in Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Although it's not a an exact command there. We do see that God's heart is that his people would fear him. And what does fear 
lead to there? Keeping his commandments. That it may be well with them. In Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 2, and we've been uh, blessed to, 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 to be around this passage a couple times this past year. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgment which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are, where you are going over to possess it. Talking about Israel getting ready to go in the promised land. So that you and your son and your grandson, this is generational, might fear the Lord your God. To keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. We see that the blessings under the old covenant that God made with the people of Israel was dependent upon them fearing God. It was dependent upon them fearing God. And then fearing God would lead to their obedience. And we're going to see in many of these verses that fear of God is inseparable from a fear of consequences. Right? Now, we as parents understand some of that. We do not want our children to slap us in the face. That would not be them submitting to God's plan for their lives. It would not be good for them to do that, right? We want them to have enough healthy fear that they would never think about doing that. Right, Dylan? You would never do that to your dad, right? You just know, that will not go well with me. I will not. What does it say? Uh, your, your days may not be prolonged, right? If you did that, your days would not be long, <laughs> Okay, there's a good, healthy fear that leads to obedience. Now, Deuteronomy 10, 12 makes the command clear. And I also like, though, that it's not just fear. It's commanded with these other verbs. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? This is such a cool verse. But to fear the Lord your God. What does God require of you, his people? To fear him. To walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, we as New Testament Christians should probably be cautious here, right? We should probably be a little careful if we have an instinct to say, Oh, I'm okay loving him. I'm okay serving him, but I don't want to fear him. You know, just, we're going to have to push further here. What is the heart here? Obviously, these things are bundled together. As the, these are good things. This is the creature's right response to the creator. And I, woo, what just happened? Bring it back, okay. Uh, for those who listened to that recorded, I just made it all go black. Okay, so Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Right? That is why we do missions. It's why we want people from around the world to stand in awe of God. But not just stand in awe of God. We saw the, the parallel phrase. To fear him. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Famous verses about fearing God. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And that's definitely a pattern we see with many of these verses that talk about fearing God. Is that God judges. That God knows what every person does and he's going to hold us accountable. So there's this sense of knowing the severity of God. Knowing that we are his creatures and that he is our creator. That we have responsibility to him leads to our fearing and obedience. And one more verse here, Isaiah 8, 12 through 13. You are not to say it's a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. This is a great warning in days listening to earthquakes and media and all kinds of insanity going on nonstop. 
It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. This is God speaking to his people. He shall be your fear. And we're going to see a verse in, in, in a little bit here where God is actually referred to as fear. So that's the uh, command to fear God. Now, I know, again, those are Old Testament commands. We, we, we will get into, uh, you know, a couple millennia back in just a minute. So the New, New Testament age. But uh, just, just, one, just one more thing kind of in way of intro is that in Scripture, someone is commended for fearing God. And maybe you've heard that phrase, they're a God-fearing man. Right? Have you guys ever heard that? And often it might be speaking of someone who is older, or you might have read that in, in a book kind of, kind of, kind of that, that's, that's looking further back. They're a good God-fearing person. Right? It's a phrase of, of commendation that they understand they're going to have to deal with God. And Job 1.8 describes of Job, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. It's a basic summary statement of someone who's righteous, of someone who's pleasing to God. They fear God and they turn away from evil. We already saw that about our own Savior. He delighted in the fear of the Lord. He had God's Spirit on him, in in, in a sense, to, to, to fear God. In Acts 10.2, describes uh, Cornelius as a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to, to God continually. It was just a quick way to summarize Cornelius' response to God. He feared God. In contrast, is Luke 18.2 in, in, in Jesus' parable. In the city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. So it's just, it's just, it was a way to commend someone to speak very positively. They fear God and turn away from sin. At the same time, it was a way to, to summarize someone's character. They don't fear God. Maybe some of you have heard the phrase about putting the fear of God into your children. I think that's probably a disturbing phrase, but there's a, a, sense, of, a sense of that, uh, that, 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 that we know that there's a seriousness. Now, there's a complexity and I think you guys all sense this. There's a complexity of fearing God, right? Okay, I'm not encouraging anyone to put the fear of God into children in that kind of way, right? We're going to put the fear of God into our children by talking about the God of the Bible in all of his attributes. So don't misquote me. Okay, complexity of fearing God. There's definitely a, a difficulty here. And James brought that up, you know. That we have the gospel. We have good news. This is not bad news, Right? We have a father, not just a fear. In fact, many times in Scripture, people are told to not be afraid. Genesis 15.1, God says to Abraham, Do not fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. This is good news. Abram, I just entered into your life. Good news. I made a covenant with you. Don't be afraid. I'm a shield to you. I'm going to protect you. Genesis 26.24, This is God talking uh, to Abraham's son Isaac. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. 
But, so that's, so that's interesting, right? God says, don't be afraid. Listen how, in, in, in Genesis 31, 42. It, so this is Jacob, Isaac's son, talking. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. So interesting. The fear of Isaac. Who's that fear of Isaac referring to? God, right? It's the God of Abraham. This is another way to speak of God. Jacob knew God as the fear of Isaac. Okay, so think about that for your, uh, just for a minute. In your life, what could you say is your fear? The fear of Isaiah is. I'm not going to even tell you because it sounds kind of, kind of like I'm a sissy. But uh, really, really, I'm going to tell you now. Really don't like mice when they're crawling in your house. I'm okay with mice in, you know, a jar or something. I don't know, keep some in a jar, but an aquarium. But do not like mice in my house, okay? Seriously, do not. Now, what is your fear? The fear of John. I don't know if he has any. The fear of Will. Maybe you have. Maybe it's something really scary and dark. Maybe it's spiders like Francis. The fear of Francis is spiders. Uh, the fear of Isaac is God. What an interesting way to talk about God. And really, in a sense, if you think about it, the fear of someone is going to be life-dominating. It's going to have to do with how you relate to all of life. So this is some of the complexity. The same God that says to Isaac, don't be afraid, is called the fear of Isaac. Now, I, I want to talk about this complexity of fearing God because fear, and we've seen this in some of these verses already, is complex. This biblical fear, this fear of God is complex. And we're going to see that in a number of verses here. Like, like look at Nehemiah 1.11. It says, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And, and sometimes in the New American Standard, uh, the word fear is translated as, as re, re, revere instead. I kind of like the word, the word fear. Uh, it works. I think it's a good summary word. Uh, delight to revere your name. And that's just what it said about our Savior, that he would delight in the fear of the Lord. Nehemiah and the other servants with him delighted in fearing God. So think about that when you think about this complex emotion, right? Now, now some people might enjoy going to a horror movie and delight in that, uh, and I don't know what they're experiencing. That's not this kind of fear here, but it is mingled with delight. Let's look at Psalm 211. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Okay, worship the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Fear is not at cross purposes with rejoicing. Trembling is not at cross purposes with worship. These are, are, are emotions that can be held at the same time. And I think even as you start thinking about that, you start seeing some of the intensity there, right? Trembling, but joy, worship, and fear. In Psalm 22, 23 to 24, 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. This is good news, right? That, that in us that God gives by his grace when we submit to him, when we stop suppressing the truth about him, when we become worshipers of him, that joy that we have of knowing his transcendence and his glory and his attributes is fearing him. It is fearing him. It is rejoicing in him. It is worshiping him. It's trembling at him. Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Again, it's bringing out some of the complexity there. So we're looking at these psalms, and we're seeing that they're in couplets, that the first half of the verse is somehow related to the second half of the verse. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. How in this verse is fearing him either rephrased or expanded upon? It's so easy that you're like, I don't want to answer that question. Those who hope for his loving kindness. So again, this is a complex emotion, right? Normally, you just popped. Uh, normally fearing God, when we normally think about fearing something, we also don't put our hope in it, right? If I'm afraid of mice, my only hope is that the mice get away from me, right? If, if, if you're afraid of a hot stove, you don't hope in the stove, right? If you're afraid of injury or afraid of a crime, you don't hope in that in any way. So this is a very complex emotion we're talking about where fear is coupled with hope and fear is coupled with joy and fear is coupled with awe. Fear is coupled with, with, with worship. Psalm 112 verse 1. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandment. Here again we see this complex emotion, this complex response. Fear is paralleled with delighting in his commandments. So not fear of God, I'm going to learn his commandments just because I'm terrified. It's fearing God and I delight in his commandments. So again, there's a complexity here. I'm so, I'm so in awe I'm so fearing God, so in reverence of God, that I can't wait to hear what he requires of me. And all this is going to work uh, as we are working towards a definition of fearing God. And, and that will be our last point, but, but we're not there yet. And last is that fear includes confidence. So this is our complexity of fearing God. Fear includes confidence. Normally, fear uh, destroys confidence, right? Normally, fear destroys confidence, Right when when I was a kid, uh, I knew that there was mice in our house. One of the few nightmares I've had in my entire life was mice getting up the bedspread and into my bed. I knew that there were mice in my room. There was no confidence when there's fear, right? And most of the time, the more afraid you are, the less confidence you have. Not so with God. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and His children will have refuge. So interesting. What are these, the, the, these parallel and supporting ideas in this verse? I guess you're not going to tell me. It's fear and refuge, right? Fear and refuge. Those things don't go together. Fear is getting away. Why is fear and refuge brought together? So that's the complexity of fearing God. Now, I, I promise this was not just an Old Testament concept. And I don't think that it is because I've got verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11. I know we're getting a little small here. Uh, 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Notice the response of Paul in verse 11. Knowing that he's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And I, really, I, 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 think, I think that there's probably two aspects of that. Knowing the fear of the Lord leads him to fulfill his, com- his, his uh, commission with great earnestness. He's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to be rewarded by Christ. Uh, he doesn't want to come up empty-handed with only wood and straw that's just going to get burned up. He wants maximum reward from the Lord. So knowing he's going to appear before, uh, bef- before the Lord leads him to knowing the fear of the Lord. We persuade men he's going to do what God calls him to. But also knowing the fear of the Lord, that those who you are persuading, that those who you are pleading to come to Christ, pleading to be right before Christ, also have to come before the judgment seat of Christ. So there we see fear of the Lord, and again, we see it in the context of consequences. We see it in the context of judgment. But this is a New Testament concept. Paul knows the fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7.1, same book. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Because of God's promises, Let's be as holy as possible. Let's let's perfect holiness in the fear of God. Let's not go for a little sanctification as possible. Let's just not try to avoid big sins. Let's try to be as holy as... Of course, big sins with quotation marks. Let's try to be as holy as possible because we fear God. In 1 Peter 1.17, If you address as father... The one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. What a powerful contrast there. At least we feel that that's a contrast, right? God as Father is, is, is encouraging and is comforting, and his spirit in me cries out, Abba, Father, this is, this is good news. Some people talk about getting into daddy's arms. But wait. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, there is judgment before the father. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, this is not contrary to the gospel. This is Paul writing, this is Peter writing to people who are saved, who know God as father. Conduct yourselves in fear. Use your time here well. Be as holy as possible. Paul said, perfect holiness. Be all in in obedience because you fear God. Now, there are some, some, some more uh, references there uh, that, that have to do with fear and God in the New Testament. But let's go to what we're all excited about here. The definition of fearing God. And you can see that I've left you the most room there because we're going to spend the most time on this. And really, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be kind of an exploring of this concept, not just with verses about fear, uh, uh, but, but, but really, I think, getting to heart of what fearing God is. There is a right and wrong kind of fear. Okay? There is a right and wrong kind of fearing God. Exodus 20, 18 to 20 says, 
All the people perceived the thunder. So to set up the scene here, this is when God reveals himself on Mount Sinai. There's a, 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 a perimeter around Mount Sinai to protect the people of Israel from going onto the mountain and dying. This is how God chooses to reveal himself to his people after the plagues in, in Egypt, after the crossing of the Red Sea. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. There, I think we see really what's at the heart of the priesthood in the Old Testament. We need a mediator between us and God. And praise the Lord for our high priest, Jesus Christ. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. For God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Is that so interesting? Don't be afraid, but be afraid. Right? You don't have to sit there just shaking in your boots. God is not a horror movie. But you need to fear him. You need to fear him. And there's a healthy fear of consequences here. That the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. And, 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 and we see that, that this is not just a motive in the Old Testament. This was a motive in the New Testament. Perfecting holiness out of the fear of God. Because your days here are short. We're going to look at a couple more verses from the Old Testament law uh, where, and, and really many of the Old Testament references about fearing God, we've seen many that aren't, but many of them have to do with the fear of consequences, like Leviticus 19.14. You shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere or fear your God, I am the Lord. What correlation is there between not pulling pranks on a blind person and fearing God? Right? It's knowing God's watching you. He may not be watching you. The blind man may not know what's coming, but God is watching you. We see the same thing with Leviticus 25, 43. You shall, you shall not rule over him, talking about your servants or slaves, with, with severity, but are to revere, revere your God. If you're in a position of authority, God is watching. Your servant may not be able to do anything about it, but God is watching. So both these verses are really about knowing that God, that God has a back of those who can't take care of themselves, and he's going to hold accountable those who are treating them that way. So there's really many verses where we see these, these ideas together. Obey God because he's watching you. You are in his presence. But that's not all, because fearing God is more than fearing his judgment, although that really is a major theme when it comes to fearing God. And so, so as I work towards a definition of what fearing God is, we can start with saying fearing God is responding to the revelation of God himself. Fearing God is responding to the revelation of God. Fearing God is responding to the revelation of God. And I'm going to span on that in a minute, but let's look at 1 Samuel 12, 16 to 18. And this is after the prophet Samuel goes to the people of, uh, of Israel, and God's going to show them who he is and who they're dealing with. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing. This is Samuel talking to the people of Israel. See this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. 
then you will know and see that your wickedness is great what you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourself a king. This is when they wanted a king, and then God gives them Saul. So Samuel called the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, really demolishing their harvest. And all the people greatly feared the Lord. So that is really, I think, a great example of what fearing God is. God reveals himself, and the people are afraid. This time, it's revealing himself in judgment, but it's not just for judgment here. Yes, it kind of struck them a blow. It, it took away their wheat harvest, but it's so that they would fear him, so that they would know who they're dealing with. And then I'm, I'm, I think we can expand that. So fear, fearing God is responding to God's revelation of himself, but it's responding to his revelation of himself in a way which is appropriate to the content of what he's saying. So fearing God is responding to God in a way that's appropriate to what he's saying. So if you fear God, really we can fear God with every message we hear from God's word. God's word requires us to respond. And sometimes it's to love him, to cling to him, to turn away from sin. If we're going to fear him, we're going to listen to him. And we're going to see this uh, 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 in some verses here. That fearing God is responding to God in a way that's appropriate to the content of what is revealed. Behold, in Psalm thirty-three, eighteen, I think we already looked at this one. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. Hey, there's that parallel. Fearing him and hoping in his loving kindness. Why are those things parallel? Why is fearing him parallel or, or, or rephrase or a synonym is hoping in his loving kindness? It's because that's what God says to do. Right? It's what God says to do. If you fear him, hope in his promises. Hope in his character. Listen to him. Respond to him. Psalm 115, 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You fear the Lord, then trust in the Lord. Why? Because he gives promises. He says, he's your shield. So if you fear him, you trust in him. Psalm 118 verse 4. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, his loving kindness is everlasting. What a sweet verse, right? Those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. Why do they say that? Because they're listening. Because they're responding. Because they're looking at his covenant promises and saying, I want those. Right? I'm going to go to him. I'm going to obey him. I want to be his people. So they get to say his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 130 verse 4. And this is an amazing verse. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Like, I think that that's worth, if, you, if you're going to set a memory verse for the upcoming week, that's an interesting one. Psalm 130, verse 4. For the, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Why do we fear him? Because there's forgiveness from him. That's different, right? That's different than what we think about fear. We think about fear as something that makes us run away from God. But why do we fear him? Because he's the one who forgives. See, so that really, I think, just kind of blows up our understanding of fear being something that's just kind of trembling and kind of being afraid and all those things in life that are creepy. This is a fear that drives us to him because he forgives. Let's see. 
And let's see, I think I'm going to skip ahead a couple here. So, too far. As we think about, about fearing God, I want you to think about it as fearing God involves direction. Fearing God involves direction. When an avalanche is coming, what do you do? I don't know because I've never been in an avalanche. But you can imagine it, right? You're there. All of a sudden, you start seeing, wow, the mountain's moving towards me, right? All that snow. Do you just stay there? I mean, I imagine at some point you're like, eh, it's not worth running. But in general, you're probably going to run as fast as you can in the opposite direction, right? Knowing that judgment's coming leads you to run. When you hear the first rumble or feel the first rumble of an earthquake, what do you do? Someone, please tell me I'm fairly new to Orange County. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, is it under a table? Is it like in the door frame? Something like that, right? Nobody knows. It was nice knowing you all. When, when, now, this one's easier, I hope. When a tsunami is coming, what do you do? Go to high ground, right? Try, try, get, get, get away from that sea level. When you suddenly find a giant, giant hairy spider, what do you do, Francis? You run. Yes, Nate kills it, Francis runs. Okay, fear involves direction. Psalm 31, verse 19. This is a cool verse. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. And there's that parallel there. Okay, the first half of the verse parallels the second half of the verse. We understand the first half of the verse better because of the second half, the second half better because of the first half. There's parallel ideas. What do those who fear God do? Take refuge in him. Don't run from him, run to him. He is both the avalanche and the refuge. He's both the tsunami and the higher ground. He's both the earthquake and whatever place, safe place you should be. He's both the wasp and the cannerade, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's too far. But you run. <laughs> okay, but anyways, it's direction. You run from God and you run to God. You don't really keep running from God. Yes, there is bad news in Scripture, right? It's judgment. We have to run from God, but then we run to God to run from God. We run, we fear him, so we find refuge in him. So God desires a fear of him that brings us to him instead of one that keeps us away from him. And that's what fearing God really is. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve first sinned, this is not the kind of fear that they had. They had fear, but not this kind of fear. Genesis 3, verses 8 and 10. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't that so sad? After their sin, they're hiding from God. Is that fearing God? Maybe you'd say yes. Maybe it's a little fearing God, right? There's an aspect of fear there. They're afraid of God, but that's not fearing God. That's not taking refuge in God. The Lord God called the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. This is not the kind of fear that God delights in. And if you find yourself shying away from your quiet time because you know you've offended him, that's not the right answer. If you find yourself not coming to Christ for salvation because you know your sin is so great, that is not fearing him. That's just hiding. 
That's being afraid of consequences. This fear that Adam had didn't bring him closer to God. It didn't lead him to God for forgiveness. This fear kept Adam from God. And God doesn't desire a fear that keeps us from him. See, no one is desperate for God's grace, this grace of fearing God, until, until they see the seriousness of their offense. And uh, James mentioned this passage in Hebrews 10, verse 30 and 31, or at least in, in, in this context here. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's true. The book of Hebrews is a book that says, run to God and not away from God. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God when you're not right with him. And yet, I think that's what we can often do. And this is the fear of God that those have who don't know him, who don't love him. Uh, We see this wrong kind of fear in Luke 19, verses 20 and 22 with the uh, parable of the three servants who were each entrusted with, with, with money, and two of them go and invest their master's money. One of them doesn't, and it's because of fear. Another came saying, Master, here's your mina, your money, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. I said, I'm afraid of you. So I didn't obey you. Is that real fear? That's not real fear, right? The master says to him, he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? By your own words. This doesn't even make any sense. If you really feared me, you would obey me. See, this man knew that his master was Fearful to test his sense, but it didn't drive him to believe his master was good. The other servants obey their master. They trust their master. They do know that he's going to judge them, that they have responsibility to him, but that work, that forces them to invest and, and use their talents well. See, the fear of God that God requires doesn't make us miserable and lazy. It leads us to trust him. This this kind of fear of God only comes from God. Romans 3.18 says there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Naturally, we do not have the kind of fear that God requires from us. None of us are born with that kind of fear. We have the kind of fear that will lead us to run away from God. We might have the kind of fear that knows that we're going to be judged and so that we try to make up for that judgment by doing good things. That's that's where most of the world is. Billions of people trying to make up for a sense that they're going to be judged by God, so they try to do good things to get even with God. But that's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's not fearing God. See, the grace of fearing God might start in a similar place, knowing with I'm going to be judged, I've broken his law, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with self, and it doesn't end with self-effort. It ends at the cross. It ends at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. A true fear of God leads us to renounce ourselves. It's what the tax collector says in Luke 18, verse 13. 
God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's what the true fear of God does. It says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your mercy. It's not saying, hey, I've been pretty good. And it's not running away in the opposite direction. It's standing there, humble. Some distance away, even unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven, beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what real fear of God looks like. It looks like what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what true fear says. It clings to Jesus Christ alone. He loved me and gave himself up for me. This is my only hope. And this is why the fear of God is a grace, because none of us will ever do that on our own. None of us will ever cling to Jesus Christ on our own over our good works. None of us on our own will never cling to Jesus Christ as compared to running from Jesus Christ. We'll do one of those two things. We'll run from him and try to find satisfaction in all kinds of other things. Often, I think, to forget that judgment's coming. Or we'll try to do good things to try to, try to make up for judgment. But it's the new covenant work of the Spirit. The new covenant as promised in the Old Testament. We're going to see that in Jeremiah 32, verses 38 to 40. This is so cool. This is our faith. This is our gospel. It's inseparable from the new covenant. Jesus' blood was the blood of the new covenant. Listen to this new covenant promise. Jeremiah 32, verses 38 to 40. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always. That's good news. That's the new covenant right there, that we would fear God always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. What does fear lead you to do? Not turn away from God, Right? You can imagine, we, we, we just had the eclipse. Did any of you go out and look at the eclipse? Yeah. Hopefully you used nice, ISO approved, whatever that was, sunglasses, right? Because you should be afraid to look at the sun. But what does the new covenant do? It makes you look at the sun and not turn away. Well, who do you turn to then? As God's holiness is, is searing you. As you're like, I'm going to die, I'm going to lose my eyes. You run to Jesus. That's the gospel, the good news. As, as the uh, theologian John Murray says, fear of God, in which godliness consists, is the fear which constrains adoration and love. It is the fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship. It is a fear of reverence which leads to confidence and love. This fear is inseparable from love. You don't turn away because you fear him, and you love him because of his grace, and you love him because really all those things that cause you to fear him now become the reasons why you worship him, and the reasons why you rejoice in him, and the reasons why you hope in him. As John Newton famously said, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Right? God's grace teaches our heart to fear. And when it says that fear is relieved, it's, it's a different kind of fear. It's not just that craven fear that tries to run away or tries to make up for our sin, but that fear that has direction to it, right? That responds appropriately to what God has revealed about himself. The kind of fear that leads us to run to him. The grace of fearing God will always lead us to cling in faith and hope 
to his son, Jesus Christ, leads us to say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the real fear of God will lead you to. It'll lead us to cling to Jesus Christ. And that's really what the message of uh, Hebrews is about. The, the book of Hebrews is written to Jews who were considering leaving Christ. It was probably written at a time when persecution was getting, was getting intense. They could go back to some kind of Judaism and be safe. If they, if they, just, if they just kind of made Jesus less than he was, if they just, if they just left Jesus... So, the author has strong words in Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. There is reason to fear if we don't carry on, if we don't continue, if we don't cling, keep clinging to Christ, if we don't continue the way that we started. That's what we should do. We should keep running to him. Fear of God has direction to the cross and to the empty tomb. But if we refuse to find our hope in him, we are in a wasteland without nothing. If we don't run to Christ, if we cling to our own good works, if we run from Christ, which is sadly, I think, what many of us find as we we forget the brilliance of the gospel, and we, we, we know we should open up our Bibles but we don't because we feel guilty for yesterday's sin and the day sin before. I didn't have a quiet time then. And we run from Christ. That's, 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 that's not the gospel. It's so dangerous. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. I know it's a little small. You can flip your Bibles there if you want. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Does the author of Hebrews want them to be afraid? Yeah, but not the kind of fear that leads them to running away from Christ. The kind of fear that leads them to Christ. It is a horrible thing he's saying to leave Christ. Anyone, uh, yeah, and I skipped verse 28, but, uh, verse 29. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The author of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is all about don't do this do not leave jesus christ let your fear let this fear don't let that happen to you don't turn away from the sacrifice that was made for your sins run to christ that's what fear does that's what he's 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 getting them to see here be so afraid you'll never leave christ and if you started contemplating it run back quickly run back quickly now see a true fear of god always ends in loving him in clinging to him, in hoping in him, in finding refuge in him. What does a child who's afraid of the darkness want to do more than anything? Turn the lights. Mom, Dad, just just leave on the lights. Fear of darkness will lead you to the one who is the light of the world. Fear of starvation will lead you to the one who is the bread of life. Fear of death and judgment will lead you to the one who is the resurrection and the life. Fear of being locked out of heaven will lead you to the one who is the door. And fear of being deceived and lied to and lost will lead you to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is what fear of God does. It leads us to Jesus Christ for everything that he is. 
So speaking of, of fearing God, John Bunyan said, When there is no sense or hope of the kindness and mercy of God by Jesus Christ, there can be none of this fear, but rather wrath and despair. Despair. She's talking about fearing God. I'm going to read this again. Where there is no sense or hope of the kindness and mercy of God by Jesus Christ, there can be none of this fear that the Bible talks about, but rather only wrath and despair. Truly fearing God leads you to hope and mercy. That's what fear does. It has direction to it. Here's another quote by John Bunyan. Nothing can lay a stronger obligation upon the, the hearer to fear God than a sense of or hope in mercy. Okay? Everything that we've just exalted about Christ, about him being the resurrection and the life and the door and the way, the truth, and the life, that, that, that's what fearing him is. It's running to him and not from him. And so I already read Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. See, fearing God doesn't lead us to run from God, but lead us to God. So I would encourage you, we're going to get back to talking about fearing God again in a couple weeks. Spend some time looking at some of those verses there about fearing God. And we're going to look at some more of, of what the consequences of fearing God are in our life. What are the results of fearing God? There are a lot about staying away from sin. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at how in a couple weeks we can cultivate that fear of God. Now, don't just come back in two weeks. Come back next week for our time of prayer. And don't forget, if you go on to, to our website, you, you can submit, uh, submit prayer requests there. I have just a couple minutes uh, to talk about questions about fearing God. And some of these I can uh, uh, hopefully answer in a couple weeks. And if you have any more questions about fearing God, send me an email. Stop me. And I just want to, to make sure we have this concept that fearing God is responding to God in, in the way that he requires rather than running from God. Yeah, are there any questions now? If you were to define fearing God, what would you... T- oh, wait, was there a question? I do not see it. Hey, Sam. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and 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 like so, 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 so the question was: Does uh, so so true fear of God drives us to God, uh, and does it also re- require the way the way that we fear the way that we go to Him? Yeah, and and like that's where I'm I'm toying with with the definition and working on it. That it's responding to God in the way that his revelation requires that we do. So it definitely does. It's going to require us listening to him. So it requires going to him through his, through his son, but it also requires all those other things that we saw. And the word fear is fear. And even if we say it's to revere or to awe, it's fear. So that's part, that's the, 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 that's part of it. That, that the fearing God is, means we're going to listen to him and come, and come the way that he requires. And that's going to be a sense of seriousness to it. But I can ho- ho- hopefully follow, follow up with that more. Is there another question follow-up? I know that a lot of times we don't really spend a lot of time talking about fearing God, right? 
feels very Old Testament. Yeah, James. Yeah, well, well, and, and, and uh, it's an interesting thing how the same author that says to perfect holiness out of the fear of God ta- talks about our dross being being consumed on the final day and what's left he'll, uh, uh, he'll, he'll be rewarded for. So there's definitely a sense in Scripture where we don't want to come up lacking <laughs> and that we're going to perfect holiness. So... Um, it's interesting that he doesn't answer that, that I mean, it seems like there could be a question behind there. Like, perhaps if we know that we're going to be rewarded for every good and never punished for any evil, why pursue holiness? Now, I know that that, that, that may not be your question, uh, but, but then Paul also says perfect holiness out of the fear of God. So I think that, that there's probably still, still something to be said about uh, how fear of God drives us to, to perfect holiness. Okay, well, uh, you want RJ? Let's take let's, let's take that offline, or, or or we'll get to it in two weeks because I got to close in prayer. But then we can we can talk after. A dear Father, it's really with a, we see what your word says, and it talks about this delight and worship and hope and refuge and parallel to all those things is fear. And there's this seriousness that you have a hatred of sin. There's a seriousness that you punish sin, that um, your son was uh, killed in the place of sinners, that he bore your wrath. And we want to have uh, the appropriate uh, response to you, Lord. We want to have a right fear of you, the kind of fear that leads us to come to you, a kind of fear that takes your word seriously, that takes your commands seriously, that doesn't gloss over anything that you require from us, but that doesn't at the same time gloss over any, any promise, that doesn't gloss over any of your attributes, that we would be the kind of people who fear you and hope in your loving kindness, who fear you and take refuge in you, who fear you and who even delight in fearing you, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would have such an exalted, uh, I don't want to say view in our minds, I pray that our 
minds would be submitted to your exaltation, that we would be submitted to what your scripture reveals about you, that we would have a fear of you that responds to you as you are and not a caricature of yourself. Pray, Father, you give us wisdom as we think about this in the upcoming uh, weeks and give us more insight uh, in a couple weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.